Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Good morning. Good to be here with y'all this morning. Uh, as they have shared already, I am friends with your pastor, Michelle. We met a number of years ago at our Virginia Annual Conference. Uh, have a, had a good friendship and support uh, as colleagues over these last number of years. So I'm glad to be here with y'all this morning. Uh, my family and I currently live in Danville, Virginia, uh, down south on the North Carolina border. But uh, we did spend about 10 years up in this area. I was serving a church in Fairfax County for a number of years uh, before we moved down to the Danville District. Uh, My husband, Stephen, and I have two children. Uh, Our daughter just started high school this year, so y'all pray for me. (laughs) She is 14 and a cheerleader. Uh, And our son, our daughter's name is Rebecca, and our son, Jonathan, is uh, just started middle school. So lots of new things happening in our house. Uh, but we're loving every minute of it. We also have um, some fur babies. Y'all have some fur babies in here too. Um, we have our Grace is our 70-pound chocolate lab who's recovering from surgery right now and needs constant care and love and attention, and she loves every moment of it. Uh, and then we have our um, pandemic puppy is what we call him, Little Dipper. He is a doxy poo. He is 10 pounds, fully grown. Uh, it's a Dotson and Toy Poodle mix, so they... Um, they are getting to know each other. We're loving it. Our hands are quite full with all of these times. Uh, my husband and I met at the Wesley Foundation at Virginia Tech, uh, and that is also where we met Brett and Gina. Um, so I was thinking about that before heading over this morning. Um, I have known Brett and Gina for 20, 20 years. I know, they're not old enough for that, but 20 years, uh, and so it's exciting to be back here together. We were uh, in some singing groups and, and leading different things there at the Wesley Foundation at Tech, so it's just certainly fun to be back here this morning and leading together after all these years. Um, so I told you a little bit about myself, and now I want to let you in on a little secret. Um, when I am feeling on top of my game as a mom, right, just getting all those hard conversations right, the kids are not fighting, everything is feeling good as a mom. I am feeling like I'm failing as a wife, as a pastor, as a friend, right? And, and when I feel like I'm being a really good friend, really there for a friend who's having a hard time, I feel like I'm letting down my, my kids and not being a good mom. 
Right? And when I feel like I'm being a really good pastor and I'm really focused and doing all those things and caring for other people, and I feel like I'm letting all of my family and friends down. Right? I, I feel like I can't ever do it all perfect. So when Pastor Michelle told me that y'all were going to be doing this book, um, focusing on Kate Ballard's book for Lent, I was so excited because it felt so perfect. Um, for how I'm feeling in life right now, and how I think a lot of us are feeling, like we never live up to all the expectations. And no matter how hard we try, no matter what we're doing, we always feel like we're failing at something because the world tells us we are not good enough. The world tells us that if you're good here, you're failing in these ten things. And we've got to be better and bigger and have more and do more to succeed. And so I was excited to be able to be here this morning for this first sermon I'm a perfectionist. I love my to-do lists. I love things being neat and orderly. I was a youth director for a few years. Uh, my husband would say, how can you do youth ministry when you like such organization and neat and orderly things? And I said, it's easy. I plan chaos. <laughs> if I plan the chaos, then I have control of it. And it can be within my to-do list that, you know, from seven to eight, we're going to have chaos. And, and now it's not chaos, it's I'm in control of it. <laughs> uh, so I'm a perfectionist. I like my to-do list. There's nothing better than that satisfaction of checking something off and knowing you can move on to the next step. But, but then we become consumed by those things, right? Always trying to do the next thing, always trying to complete it, always trying to be perfect again and again and again. And what I thought was thriving for me in this way of doing and being in this perfect and succeeding kind of lifestyle has, has been revealing to me more recently that, that I've been sucked into that narrative of our world too. That we are never good enough. That we have to do more and be more and have more to be perfect, to be the best, to be good, and to be valued. I don't know, maybe y'all can relate to that this morning, too. Maybe you, maybe you feel those pressures from the world. Maybe you feel that pressure in your own life. I'm always trying to be on top of our game at everything, trying to be perfect. Dr. Marcia McPhee, in, in her reflections on Kate Ballard's book, says this. She says, the level of expectation and pressure to keep up, buck up, measure up, build up, have always been high. And now as we ease back into a hopefully post-ish pandemic world, she says, the exhaustion is real, but the expectations are again creeping up, nudging us towards some vision of a good life defined by society that isn't always realistic or even possible. I love that because that, I believe, is the very place that we meet Jesus in our scripture this morning. We need Jesus in this place where he is being tempted and pushed and enticed with all these things that could be with glory and riches and, and things that could just fill him in this way that the world and the devil say are the good life. That's the place that we meet Jesus in our scripture this morning. Uh, but, but as we look at our scripture, I think we have to go back just a little before what we heard this morning, and that's looking at Luke Three, where Jesus is baptized. Do you remember this story where Jesus uh, is in the Jordan and he is baptized by John the Baptist? And as he's being baptized, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove and a voice from heaven says, This is my son with whom I am well pleased, my beloved, the one that I love. 
And right out of that baptism, out of that claiming of Jesus by God, out of that spirit descending upon him, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the spirit. He's led into the wilderness by the spirit, having not done anything spectacular by the world's standards yet. He's led into the the wilderness by the spirit where he fasts and is tempted by the devil for 40 days. 40 days. The devil meets him right in the middle of that hunger and says, turn these stones into bread. You know you're hungry. You want to eat them. Be so good. And Jesus says, no. And then the devil offers all the kingdoms of the world if he'll simply bow down and worship him. All of this can be yours. All the glory and riches and kingdoms that the world had to offer. And Jesus says, no. And then he says, throw yourself down and test God. Surely God will will catch you and not even let your foot be dashed upon the, the rocks. Jesus again says no. And our scripture reading this morning tells us that in all this, those 40 days of of fasting and being tempted and tested and pushed and enticed by the devil, that Jesus is famished. I love that. I love when we see that human side of Jesus. He is famished. Right? I'm hungry if I just miss breakfast. This is 40 days. 40 days without eating. 40 days of fasting. And not just like sleeping, taking walks, doing what he wants while fasting, but being tested and challenged and pushed by the devil. And scripture tells us that he is famished. He is famished and exhausted and hungry. And yet, I want us to go one verse further than what we heard this morning, because this is key for us, I think, today. The very next verse after what we heard this morning says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He, he came out of the wilderness and returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit where he began teaching in his hometown of Nazareth and was run out of town. Jesus, the, the Son of God, not good enough for his hometown, couldn't even live up to the expectations of his hometown, people that raised him and knew him from birth. He couldn't live up to even their expectations, and yet Scripture reminds us that he is filled with the Spirit nonetheless. Amen? That Jesus is filled with the Spirit nonetheless. No matter what is happening, what the devil is doing, what the world around him is telling him, Jesus is filled with the Spirit when he goes into the wilderness. He is filled with the Spirit throughout all of those struggles and challenges, and he comes out on the other side filled with the same Holy Spirit, the same power and presence of God. After everything he has faced, temptations and struggles and challenges, the power of the Spirit remains within him. He comes out exhausted, emotionally, physically, mentally exhausted, beat down, probably felt unbearable at times. The devil wouldn't give up, not even for a moment to let him rest. And he emerges still as God's beloved. He merges with the power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit still within him. And I believe this is the good news for us today, friends, that just as Jesus was claimed as God's beloved, filled with the Spirit, and sent off into the world, facing these hard and tiring, exhausting days, 
And every day, every moment, every struggle and temptation, God is with Jesus, filling him and leading him because God loves him. It is the same for you and for me. God is with us because God loves us and claims us as his beloved children, filling us with his spirit. No matter what we face, no matter how hard the struggle is, no matter what the temptation is, God is with us in every moment, in every day. God is with us, claiming us in the wilderness of today as we face those temptations, as we, as we go through struggles, as we look to scripture, as we seek to worship God in our, in our times of exhaustion. Are you exhausted? Anybody here exhausted? In our exhaustion, in our hunger, when we are famished. Today, tomorrow, 40 days from now, God is with us. God is with us. His very Holy Spirit claims us because we are his children too. God is with us not because we're perfect, not because we're on top of our game, not because our lives are, are good and holy all the time, not because we're keeping up with the Joneses. Not because we have it all figured out. God is with us because that is who God is. The one who loves us and claims us. The one who is with us in the messiness and the busyness of everyday life. and the hardest moments of our lives. When life doesn't look like what we wanted or hoped for. In our real lives right here, right now. God is with us. This, I believe, gives us freedom, and possibility, and hope. Hope for life today and hope for this Lenten journey that we begin these days ahead of us. In her book, if you've had a chance to begin reading this, it is excellent. I started reading in preparation for this morning, but Kate Ballard says that we are on the lookout for beauty and meaning and truth in the midst of lives that didn't turn out like we thought they should. We can have lives where God breaks in and surprises us, she says. We can learn to believe that we are blessed regardless of how our lives appear on social media. We can begin to feel less alone, more loved, and less judged when good is enough. Good is enough. We don't have to be perfect. To approach God. We don't have to be perfect to see the Holy One who is right here with us and in our midst. We don't have to be perfect to have a life and faith that is good. Good. Not perfect, but good. A life that is good and good enough because God is right here already with us. God is right here in the imperfect, ordinary moments of life and knowing this invites us, begs us to stop looking for perfection. That's hard. I know that's hard. Stop looking for perfection and seeking the ways of the world around us. To stop waiting for the impossible futures and the missed expectations that the world says can still happen if you just do more, be more, do more all the time. More, 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 more. We can see God and approach God and be with God right now in these messy, busy moments of ordinary life. We don't have to wait until we're less tired, until all of our problems are fixed, until we've lost all that weight. 
that we promised we were going to lose this year. Until the kids are older and the car is paid off and we're retired and have more time. We don't have to wait until the pandemic is over. The war is over. We can be and live in these moments right here, right now. Ordinary, messy, uncertain, yet holy and good. Because we are filled with the same spirit. Same spirit who filled Jesus himself before, during, and after those tiring, exhausting days in the wilderness. Right here, right now, we can begin to embrace and, and see lives that are simply good, as Kate says, that are, that are good and good is enough. Enough because we are loved fully and wholly by God, enough because God is here meeting us in our exhaustion, in our hunger, in our pain, in our struggles. Enough because the life that God offers is enough. The life that God offers is not like the life the world entices us with, but it is enough and it is good. Well, I want to ask you this morning how many of y'all remember the game Oregon Trail? Yeah, I'm good. I asked Gina if she thought many of y'all would be familiar with that game. She said she thought you would. You're right, Gina. I used to love that game, right? Um, in elementary school, we had that floppy disk. I don't remember what that computer is called. So it was technically a computer. We wouldn't call it a computer today, but you had to put that floppy disk in and close the little thing down so it didn't pop back out and play this game, right? Now they have a board game or a card game with Oregon Trail. But what I, what I um, was thinking about that game is that you could plan everything so carefully in that game. You could make sure you had all the food, the medicine, the clothing, the provisions you needed for that journey. And then bam, snake bite, <laughs> dysentery, broken wagon tongue and axle, and now the grass is dead and the oxen have nothing to eat, a robber. Right? You could plan everything and all of these things would just, like the screen would just change and your game was over. Nothing you could do about it. Absolutely nothing. And, and then there were the rivers that you could cross. You remember you could cross those rivers, you could um, ford the river and risk everything floating away if it didn't work out. <laughs> you could caulk the wagon and everybody could work together and try to push it across and, and things probably got wet and probably still lost some things. When you got to the other side, you had to keep on moving. Keep on moving with whatever you had left, with whatever life looked like in those moments. Something's gone, something's wet, people tired, nothing looking like what you hoped for or expected when you got to the other side, but you kept on with whatever you had left in those moments. And I was trying to remember what it was actually called when you got to the river, those two choices, because it's been a while. And I remember 20 years ago we had been a while. Uh, and it was a long time before that when Oregon Trail was on the computer. <laughs> I was trying to remember what it was called though when you got to the river and, and you know, Google, you can search my kids say, search it up, mom. Search it up. So I searched it up on Google and uh, it, one of the responses said, to caulk the wagon and float it means to take what you have and make it work. I love that. To, to caulk the wagon, like you have no other option, and so you're going to figure out what can I do and try to make it work. And that really struck with me as I was thinking about our scripture 
our message this morning and entering into the season of Lent, that that is the starting point for discovering what it means to find meaning and beauty and life, as Kate talks about, right here in this place that is not perfect, but good enough. Not perfect, but good enough to take what we have, who we are right now in this moment, and make it work. Make it work today for a life with God, a life of faith, a life that is good, not perfect, but good. And beautiful and messy and ordinary. And I think that's the starting point for us, right? Right? Do you have five minutes while waiting to pick up the kids from, from school or dance or soccer? And then maybe that five minutes becomes a time where you can pray or where you can read a devotional that you keep in your car. Do you have friends or family that maybe you check in with every week? Maybe maybe you start letting them know how's it going? What could they pray for you? You start asking them how you can pray for them. Do you have tears? Are you full of, of tears that you want to cry out for the world, for, for pain and suffering in your own life? If all you have today are tears, then cry them out to God. Give those tears to God. Let God hear them and have them and see just how tired and hurt you are and rest in that promise of God's presence today. Do you have anger? Anger at what's happening in our world, anger at what's happening in our, in our communities, in Ukraine, and in our schools. Do you, are you filled with anger right now? Is that what you have in this moment? Then give that anger to God and, and let that anger take you one step in the, to doing something that's social justice oriented, that's a nonprofit that can make a difference, that can bring an end to suffering in someone's life. Let your anger be so used to sow seeds of justice. And maybe you're so exhausted and famished and overwhelmed that you have nothing to give or spare right now. I would encourage you, if that's where you find yourself, to simply be. Pause. Rest. Rest in the promise from our scripture that you are not alone, that God is with you. Right here, right now. And let that promise and let that presence of God hold you. And give you hope for tomorrow. What is it that you have in these ordinary and perfect moments that we call life? What do you have today? Where do you find yourself today? And how can you make it work? How can it be good enough? to see the holy, to look for the divine, to approach the God who is already here with you. Live a life of faith that is not perfect, but is good. And let we journey with Jesus to the cross where he laid down his life for us. Laid down his life for us and for the world, not because we were perfect. Not because life is what we expected, but because of how much God loves us. God sent his only son to die for us that we might have life, not a perfect life, but an abundant life. A life that is happening right now, right here, an ordinary, messy life that can be holy, one that is and can be good. And that is enough. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the promise in your holy word that you are indeed here with us right now. 
that your spirit, the same spirit that filled Jesus, is here filling us, claiming us, sending us, leading us. Lord, we pray that all those pressures in our lives, those drives and tests and challenges that tell us we are never good enough, that tell us to be more, to do more, to have more, God, that that you would help us to push those aside, to make space right here, right now, to see you reaching out and embracing us in the ordinary, messy moments right now. Remind us that they can be holy and good because you are here. Lord, help us to to see that the messiness and the busyness are places where we can begin to do work, where we can sow seeds of justice, where we can cry out in prayers, where we can respond to the needs and suffering around us. Lord, we especially pray for all those who are battling sickness and disease. God, as this pandemic continues on, we look and we long for hope, and we know there's still so much pain and suffering. So, Lord, let us be a presence, a light in the world around us who offers hope to others. God, for the violence, suffering, the pain around the world, especially in Ukraine, Lord, help us to be a people of peace, a people of reconciliation, a people who who cry out, who listen for the ways that you are calling us to respond, to care for our neighbors, to make peace and not war, to be at the table in ways that can bring about change. Lord, we pray that, that whatever we are facing this day, whatever challenges are before us, however exhausted and hungry and famished we are, God, that you would meet us right here as your word promises that you do. Show yourself to us in undeniable ways that we would step into this Lenten journey with a new vision, a new heart, a clean heart and spirit, Lord, that is ready to be good, good enough with you and you alone. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who taught his people to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.